Are you one of those people who just loves to make plans? Are you the organizer among your friends? You know, the one who tries to coordinate all the diaries and suggest ideas and make the bookings and communicate the details. Are you the planner? Is your workspace full of detailed schedules and comprehensive to-do lists and completed admin tasks? In your studies, are you or were you the revision timetable guru who spent more time actually highlighting boxes than you did studying? Are you the research planner who comes up with a list of potential holiday destinations on an Excel spreadsheet showing current prices, different airlines, and the pros and cons of each? Do you love to get a new diary at the start of a new year and fill in all the key events that lie ahead? Is your Google Calendar color-coded and virtually coordinated with family and friends to help navigate your busy social life? Do you like to know what you're doing next week, next month, and next year? Do you love to make plans? If so, perhaps the meticulous planners among us found the last year hardest of all with so many disrupted plans. 2020 was the year of disruption, and there's no evidence that that suddenly changed when the clock struck midnight on Thursday. So while we might yearn for a year with less disruption, we need more than simply to place our hope in the changes of a calendar to bring that to us. So where do we turn to in times of disruption and disorientation. Today, I want to look at a little snippet that comes right at the very end of Matthew's account of the Christmas story. It's not an aspect of the story that we hear very often in church at Christmas time because it comes many months after the birth of Jesus, but also because I think we can tend to rush on to the, very, the next thing very quickly rather than dwell a little longer in the fullness of the story. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to dwell in this story, this incredible story, one last time, and to consider the context of Mary and Joseph in this story. And as we do, I want to perhaps cheekily ask you to consider if you're ready for even more disruption this year. Let's read together from Matthew chapter 2. Be reading from verses 13 to 15. I'd encourage you to read, uh, grab a Bible and read along with me as you do. And keep your Bible open as I share with you this morning. So we'll read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. This is God's word. It says, When they, that's Mary and Joseph, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Amen. Have you ever considered just how much disruption Jesus brought to Mary and Joseph? Mary and Joseph's lives had already changed significantly, and much of it seemed like they had very little choice about. 
Joseph certainly wouldn't have picked a scenario of his fiancée becoming pregnant without his aid. Mary wouldn't have chosen to have her reputation surrounded with suspicion. And then both of them being forced to take the long journey to register at Caesar's request would have brought more disruption to their lives in the very late stages of pregnancy. Giving birth away from home in a guest room normally set aside for animals certainly wouldn't have been what they had pictured. And so after all this upheaval, if I was them, I would have just wanted to get home and settled to start life with my new family. You know, even after the most brilliant of holidays, a fortnight in the sun and the sand, how some, some of us might utter the immortal words before we've even hit the airport. You know, I feel like I'm ready for home now. I've never really understood that, but it happens. Well, for Mary and Joseph, far from home with their newborn son, I have no doubt that they were ready for home. But this new family didn't get that luxury. In order to keep their son safe, they are forced to flee. Matthew tells us that Joseph got up, this is verse 14, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. The end of this nativity scene isn't a happily ever after moment as the curtain closes, but has the main protagonists in the story hearing from an angel via a dream that their very lives are in danger. Possibly before Jesus could even walk or talk, he was on the run, a homeless refugee in a foreign land. But what does Matthew want us to see in this part of the story? Well, who could take a savior seriously, who was born into and lived an easy life? When all around the world, People suffer pain and loss and cruelty and terror and injustice. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus, the Savior, when life is at its darkest, when we are far from home physically or feel far from home spiritually, forced displacement is the involuntary movement of a person away from their home, maybe caused by natural disaster or violence or ethnic cleansing, persecution or war. Some in this church from other lands know more about displacement than I do. But have you ever considered that Jesus was forced to make this journey too? The baby who had just received expensive gifts from royalty had now become a migrant fleeing for safety as his family sought out a new home. It was the ultimate disruption. The Christmas story is not one of peace on earth, goodwill to men. This Christmas story is also one of displacement and disruption. Even the calendar was disrupted as time begins to be counted differently from this day forward. But much more significantly, Jesus himself experienced disruption and encountered displacement. And that was no different to the other characters in the Christmas story either. Because what do they all have in common? That that first Christmas, none of them were at home. 
Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to come to Bethlehem. The shepherds watching their, sh- their flock in the field weren't at home. In fact, they were possibly homeless. And the wise men had left their home to follow a star looking for a promised king. Jesus being among us brings disruption. It's inevitable and unavoidable. And Mary and Joseph experienced it. Imagine the disruption of being forced to get up in the middle of the night, grab together whatever possessions you could carry and flee for a brand new land that you had never set foot in before. And to do all that with a tiny human being in your arms who you are now responsible for and who just happens to be the son of God. I still remember the first journey that we made from the hospital to our home with our firstborn son. A journey of two miles took about 30 minutes in our car. And I'm not sure that we came close to 30 miles an hour or we got out of third gear. We were taking a tiny bundle of life home to take care of him and be responsible for him. And even with the protection of baby seats and seat belts and a car with good safety features, we were still nervous and anxious. Then how on earth did Mary and Joseph feel in those moments that they fled for safety? The journey was inconvenient. It was dangerous, both for the child and his mother. And they would have been uncertain about what reception they were going to receive in Egypt. Do you see how the very presence of Jesus in their lives, in their home and even in their arms, didn't make them exempt from disruption? Our hope isn't placed on a quiet life, but on a secure future. Our trust isn't placed on earthly circumstances, but on an eternal saviour. So where will you place your hope and trust this year? Later in his life, Jesus said these words. They're found in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is really hard teaching from Jesus. He's saying that discipleship comes with a cost, that it's inevitable The things that God calls us to aren't always the things that you and I might like. There's something about discipleship that brings disruption and something about disruption also that develops our discipleship. In fact, the goal of discipleship isn't extravagant gestures, but it's about laying down one's life. Some people, maybe even some of you, have only really learned to follow Jesus when life has been going well. And the critical need is helping to understand how followers of Jesus aren't immune from suffering and that discipleship often involves a cost. You see, following Jesus, living and walking in the way of Jesus isn't always about enjoying special experiences on a mountaintop, but also about learning to follow him in the difficulties of the valley. And so disruption is inevitable but it can also be intentional. Our friend Karl Martin regularly talks about a prayer that he's been encouraged to pray. 
the prayer of disruption, where we invite Jesus to challenge our comfort and disrupt our lives. Are you prepared to pray that prayer and embrace the disruption that Jesus might bring? Because there's something about disruption that brings fresh growth. In fact, every time our lives are disrupted, it's an opportunity for new territory and fresh growth. We have a book that we read with Noah, our son, now and again, and it's called Everyone a Child Should Know. And it basically documents the life stories of some legends of our faith, such as John Newton, Corrie Ten Boom, and Hudson Taylor. As we've read these stories together, I've noticed what's common across all of their lives is that they all experienced significant disruption one way or another. It went hand in hand with their faith. But also, and more hopefully, the various tests and trials and suffering that they faced became the gateway for them to grow greater dependency on Jesus, strengthen their faith and purpose for their life. Faith can actually be formed in suffering. And right at the start of his letter, James writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James starts his letter by telling these Christians he was writing to that actually it was a joy to face trials. What an incredible perspective. That was certainly the story for Amy Carmichael, her stories in this book too. Amy Carmichael grew up in a wealthy family. Her father owned a flour mill. She went to the best boarding school and she had many fine things. But one day, Amy's life would change without warning. Her dad's business began to lose money and it closed. He worried so much about the business that he became ill and died. The family could no longer afford the things that they once had. And Amy had to drop out of school and spend the next 10 years helping her mum take care of her younger siblings. One day, as Amy left church, she saw something that changed her life. An old beggar came staggering out of an alleyway. Her clothes were torn and her mud-soaked rags covered her feet. And Amy felt sorry for the woman. She and her brother helped the old woman down the alley. When she saw other people from church pass them by, she was embarrassed to be seen with this woman and hid her face. But as she continued to walk with the beggar, Amy noticed a fountain in the center of the road. As she studied it, she heard a voice say, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. The fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the foundation survives, he will receive the reward. She turned to see who was speaking, but saw no one. Amy knew that she appeared kind by helping the old woman, but knew that her heart was wrong. From that moment, she decided to hold her head high and was no longer embarrassed. She got home and she searched her Bible to find the words that she had heard. And kneeling by her bed, Amy promised God that in the future, she would only do things to please him. Amy Carmichael went on to live much of her life in India as a missionary, caring for and reaching those who didn't know Jesus. Disruption brought discomfort 
And that discomfort became the gateway for fresh revelation and it became the environment in which she received the deep call in her life. Could this be the case in our lives too? Mark Sayers writes this, before the rains of renewal come, the soil must be broken up and turned over so it can be ready to receive. See, maybe, just maybe, God has been breaking up and turning over the soil in our life so that you can be ready to receive him afresh or perhaps even for the first time. If I'm honest, over the past few years, I think one of the greatest temptations that I've faced hasn't been head on and dramatic, but it's been much more quiet and subtle. As I've regularly felt the temptation to just settle, reaching my mid-30s, and opting for a quiet life. You know, more comfort, less disruption, more ease, less hassle, more consistency, less change, more certainty, less expectation. Where safety and security become the metrics of which I use to weigh up my choices and the voice of courage becomes drowned out by the voice of sanity and reason. And while at times, that might feel alluring. I've come to realize that the way of Jesus is often more about sacrifice than comfort and that his invitation to join his story of building his kingdom will bring more purpose, more joy and hope and life than settling ever could. Don't seek to make this year the year of comfort because comfort is static and brings no growth. Joseph obeyed God, even though it meant more disruption. He was obedient to the heavenly vision, made no objection, and was immediate in his response. As soon as he received his orders, he arose and went away the same night he received them. And many years later, Jesus would display a similar obedience to the call on his life, as in the face of the ultimate discomfort and disruption and agony of crucifixion, he endured death on a cross so that we may know forgiveness and have life. The disruption of the, co- of the cross and the, dis- and the death of the Messiah brought about the gift of life. And so while following God today might lead to disruption, disruption can be the doorway to new life, fresh growth, and a horizon of hope. I wonder how God might want to disrupt us this year, to disrupt your life, disrupt your faith, even disrupt us as a church. I think that's part of the story, actually, of this church. The story of Central being planted is one of disruption. Of course, it's been life-giving and encouraging, But at times, I think those who've been leading this church would say it's been tiring, challenging, and disrupting. There's been a cost in Carnmoney Church as some brilliant leaders have been released and given away. There's been discomfort in trying new things and being stretched in fresh ways. There's been a disruption to patterns and relationships and finances. And it's been absolutely worth it. Without disruption and discomfort, there can be no growth. So what about you? I'm sure some of you 
are sitting listening to this this morning and you're thinking, no, no more. No, no more change. No more altered plans. No more discomfort. No more disruption. At which I remind you that disruption is inevitable and that there's no growth without discomfort and no change without disruption. Even the very act of prayer itself is disruptive. I still have a daily alarm set in my phone for 12 o'clock every day to disrupt whatever I'm doing that day and prompt me to pray the Lord's Prayer in that moment. And you know, often it's an inconvenience. I'm tempted to ignore it so often, but generally it's been a helpful and intentional disruption in my day to remember God's presence with me in everything I do. So what prayer could you pray so that God could disrupt your current situation? What posture could you carry that displays the way of Jesus and disrupts current patterns? What act of generosity could you give that disrupts people's lives? What countercultural response could you make when you experience disruption? I want to finish this morning by just looking back to Mary and Joseph in the story one last time, because there is additional hope and comfort that we find there. What we see is that this particular disruption did not last forever. As just a few verses later, we read this in verse 19 and beyond. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel they would return home. We're not told exactly how long it lasted, though it's thought to have been several years. But however long, the disruption was only temporary. And yet it was only the start. As Jesus went on to disrupt religious spirits, political rulers, and social norms, he disrupted expectations in people's minds, viruses in people's body, and attitudes in people's hearts, even displaying his power to bring disruption to death itself. This year, don't assume it's all going to be peace and calm and silent night. This year, don't settle for comfort and safety, but choose obedience no matter the cost. To close this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer of disruption over your lives, and maybe you'll join me in praying it with me. Let's pray. God, in this time we turn again to you, for we have nowhere else to turn. We put our faith in you because you have pray, proved your faithfulness time and again. We reaffirm our love for you because you have never let us go. We thank you that you're not distant from us, but have drawn near in your son. You've shared our life, tasted our death and defeated it. You understand our worries and our fears. Help us respond as you want us to. We pray for the disruption we feel in our normal life, bringing new fears and anxieties. We pray for those who've been laid off as their work disappears. We pray for those who have suffered in the year that's been. Help us to find new ways of living through this time, not, let, not forgetting you, but drawing strength from you. May our experience of your presence be real. 
May our worship be heartfelt and our prayer be fervent. Let our discipleship be faithful, our fellowship deepen and our service increase. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit so that we may endure disruption and grow through discomfort. Would suffering strengthen our faith and deepen our reliance on you? Jesus, disrupt our days so we can see you in every situation. And may we carry our faith in a way that looks out for others, shows love and action, and brings encouragement, hope, and peace. Always trusting in you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.